Welcome to Agenda Breakdown, a podcast that explores how cities make decisions and how you can have a say. I'm Kim Bishop, and today we're going to talk about a new home for the San Luis Obispo Police Department. If you've ever been inside the San Luis Obispo Police Station, you know what I mean when I say it is not a welcoming place. It's this grungy old building with a tiny rundown waiting area. Nothing about it feels inviting. Next month, San Luis Obispo's City Council will have a study session about building a new station. They're calling it a public safety center at a time when cities are reimagining what local law enforcement and community safety should look like. Today, we're going to talk with Brian Nelson, city engineer for the Public Works Department in San Luis Obispo. That's the department that's in charge of building bike paths, maintaining our parks, and lots of other things having to do with transportation and infrastructure. Brian's going to tell us about the report that his department will present to the city council on November 2nd. That staff report will introduce the concept of a public safety center, which the city says will modernize the police station so it's more focused on public services for citizens. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Good to be here. So my first question is, how exactly is a public safety center different from a traditional police station? Good question. A traditional police station is primarily designed to suit the needs of a police department solely, whereas the public safety center is really designed to meet multiple needs, including not just the police station itself and the staffing and resource needs of the department, but also in this particular instance, an emergency operations command center and then a community room with resiliency hub features that will really be an outward facing place for engagement with the police department and the facility as a whole. When you say resiliency, what was it? Resiliency hub? Resiliency hub. What does that mean? Yeah, so it's kind of a new concept we're looking at for this facility, but one of the benefits of having a new facility as a whole is that it can be designed to meet our climate action goals for the community and really for all of our projects moving forward that have a energy component to them. So council has a goal for climate and energy neutrality. So we're planning to design this facility as a net zero or carbon neutral energy facility. And so the resiliency hub will provide a place for for folks in the community to come and it'll be a place where if there's any sort of heat waves or other you know events that happen where the public needs a safe place to go to plug in their phones or to get cool it'll provide an opportunity and a space for that within a building that is carbon neutral oh that's super interesting so it would be in addition to like the cooling huts that exist on super hot days out in the community Yeah, that's the concept we're looking for um, with that, but also, you know, just having it be that carbon neutrality element to it. So it would be not just a place for cooling, but it's also resilient and basically provides a physical space or a set of resources that support resiliency in the community. So that includes access to power, shelter, information. So during major weather events or extreme events, but it also helped build that year-round community adaptive capacity. So basically, it's a place where the public can come in, and it would be in this community room that we're proposing. So it serves two functions, not only that engagement of the community, but also engagement in terms of resiliency and a place for the public to come and events, uh, weather events where they need some shelter and power. Got it. So, you know, in extreme heat, they could come there to cool off. Um, in uh, an extended power outage, they could plug in their devices, that sort of thing? Correct, yeah. 
So the question that always comes up that I have to ask you is why now? You know, last year there were some highly publicized conflicts between citizens and our local police during the uh, Black Lives Matter protests. And there's been a big shift as a result in the public's attitude toward community policing. So I'm curious about the timing. Why is the city proposing this project right now? How does it represent a path forward? Well, this project has actually been known and in the works for a couple of decades now, to a degree. So as early as 2003, there were some facility studies completed for at the police department that showed that the existing facility was inadequately designed to meet their current needs as well as their projected future needs. Part of that is largely due to the fact that the facility is 52 years old and was built in a time where there was only 28,000 residents um, in the community. So the, the needs at that time were much, were much smaller. So as the community has grown and then the surrounding community has grown as well, the staffing and resource needs for the department has increased along with that. So as early as 2017, we'd actually begun efforts to assess a relocation or a replacement of the facility to suit the future needs of the department looking, you know, 30, 50 years out. Got it. So it really just uh, is something that's been in the works for a long time. It's clear that the building isn't meeting needs. The timing was just coincidental. It was. And and the other element, too, uh, that's a large factor here, is that the existing facility doesn't meet seismic design requirements for an essential services facility. So in a large seismic event, there's a potential that the facility could become non-operational. And for an emergency facility that provides the services of the police department that the community relies on, you really need a functioning facility to withstand those sorts of events so that those services could be provided. You've been listening to Agenda Breakdown. I'm Kim Bishop. My guest today is Brian Nelson, city engineer with the city of San Luis Obispo. All right. So I know that the city does do a lot of community outreach before bringing something like this to city council. I'm curious what kind of outreach happened? What issues did community members bring up and how um, have they been incorporated into the proposal? Yeah, I I think, you know, what we heard over the last 18 months or so was that there's a a general sort of distrust for, for law enforcement. At least that's what I heard personally. There was a lot of conversations happening with council and public feedback to council during that time period where, you know, they conveyed that law enforcement wasn't really suiting needs of members of the community that felt marginalized. So, you know, it really allowed us to pause and we had already sort of paused on this project when the pandemic occurred as we sort of trying to reassess workload and, you know, budgetary priorities at that time. But in addition to that, with the feedback we were getting, it allowed us to reassess our goals for the facility and the programming and layout we were hoping to achieve. And so we incorporated the feedback we were hearing by implementing the community room feature of the facility. So the community room, as we have it proposed, is 2,800 square feet. So it's a large space, provides ample opportunities for multiple and different groups to utilize, including police explorers, the PAC, which is the Police and Community Action Together team, school resource officers, neighborhood outreach, those sorts of things. You know, previously there wasn't really an emphasis placed on that. And so the benefit of all the feedback we received is we were able to really take the time to see how that could be incorporated into the facility. I see. So that space would be used for opportunities to strengthen relationships with community groups. Correct. And along those lines, it's not a dedicated space for like police staffing. It's really a dedicated space for those uses. So we're, we're 
thinking of it separately from the the police department element of the facility. It's design is for that community outreach. Got it. Okay. Well, here, here's some easier questions for you. <laughs> What's the anticipated cost for this project? So right now it's very preliminary. We're in like a 20% design level. So we have conceptual layouts. We have conceptual square footage estimates, a exterior that's purely conceptual. So we're a long ways off. I want to emphasize that. With that, currently our estimate for the facilities construction cost is $52 million. And that cost will change as we get closer and are able to refine those design estimates and lock down a time frame for construction. Right now, our construction year is 2025. So we're several years out. And right now, with this report that's going to council and the study session, we're looking for feedback on what these concepts are right now, because we have plenty of time to modify that with public and council feedback on what the goals are for the facility. And if we've proposed what facility is that people really want to see, or if there's some modification to what we propose, you know, we have time to modify that. The next step is to enter the entitlements phase. So that means is we'll be bringing, based on the council's feedback with this study session, we'll be modifying our approach if needed, but we'll be bringing that over the next year or so to the Architectural Review Commission, Planning Commission, and then ultimately the project will return to council for approval for construction. And again, this is over the next year for entitlements and through 2024 for the building design. You know, there there will be a point in time there will, where the design will need to be locked in so that we can really finalize the project and get it to construction. But, you know, the, there's a long lead time. And that's sure. one of one of the items that is being presented to council is whether or not they agree with the timeline proposed. So council may choose to accelerate it based upon a public desire to see this or extend the timeline if they're not in agreement with what we've proposed or what the public really wants. Now, I know that typically when you present a staff report, staff makes a recommendation for council. Is that the case here? Yeah, that's the case. Every report to council includes a recommendation. And this one is generic in nature. We're not asking for approval necessarily. What we're asking really is for them to receive the presentation for the replacement of the facility. So we'll, we'll be there, present all this information in detail that's included in the staff report for their consideration, the public's comment and feedback. And the second recommendation to council for this is to provide that feedback. So provide preliminary feedback to the staff to guide the continued programming of the facility, the design and construction schedule and pathway forward. So that's the primary recommendation where they'll get a list of questions from us that are included in the staff report and their answers to their question could have us go back to the drawing board and amend some of the programming or design elements or you know, reassess the timeline. So it seems like this is a really good opportunity to get in on this process um, early where there's still a lot of room for manipulation of the plans, right? Yeah, this is very early on in the process, and it's the ideal time to really provide that feedback. We've got a lot of good information and detail in the staff report for listeners and the, the public to, to see and read through. You know, that's what's going to council. That's what council is reading. That's the best information we have and the proposals we have for the project. With that report, there's also a, a number of attachments that go into detail on what the facility deficiencies are, what the space needs are by various departments within the police department or divisions within the police department. So the detail is there. The analysis has been done. 
and the report really summarizes all of those elements and puts them in one place for hopefully for easy consumption. Well, that brings me to the most important part of the show, the, uh, the part where we tell our listeners how to make their voice heard, how to weigh in the action item. So what would you say is one specific step our listeners should take if they want to inform themselves or weigh in? Yeah, if they want to weigh in, they can go to the city's website and submit a comment to council on the agenda item in advance of the meeting. So all of those emails are received and filed for review and council can can review those and take that into consideration prior to the meeting. Um, They can also leave voicemails. And then during the meeting, they have an opportunity to comment on the specific item. So after the staff presents it, the council and the public will have opportunity to ask those questions and provide that feedback. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate you being here. Listeners, you can find a link to the staff report and that action item in our show notes as soon as that staff report becomes available. You'll also be able to find it on the city's website on the city council agenda. This episode was produced by Francisco Martinez with original music by Wes Bischoff. I'm Kim Bischoff. We'll see you next time on Agenda Breakdown.